0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And today we're talking about A Corner of the Universe, which was a 2003 honor book by Ian M.
1: Martin. Declining as she always does, both her best and only friend's invitation to Maine and her grandparents offer a summer camp, Hattie plans to spend the summer of her 12th birthday in her hometown. She likes to wander the town's few streets, visiting the library and her grandparents and her favorite stores, but always staying close to home, which is, in her case, a boarding house run by her parents. But Hattie's desired ordinary summer is upset when not one, but two strangers come to town. I'm going to end it on that little intriguing cliffhanger. (laughs) That's a good summary. Um, It is a good summary, I think. And, I mean, I didn't write it, so I can praise it heavily and mightily. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's exactly right. Hattie is very, um, very kind of a stay-at-home girl. Which we can all relate to right now. Mm, Yeah.
0: And um, it's set in the 1960s. I think actually 1960.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, her dad's kind of a bohemian painter. Her mom um, is, tends to the boarding house. Um, She lives in a kind of a non-traditional house, but, but it still has, it still is kind of traditional by like today's standards. Yeah. There's still a lot of like gender roles that are alive and well and, you know.
0: And her grandparents um, are like rich and snooty.
1: Yeah, I kept thinking of um, Mrs. Gilmore, Emily Gilmore. Oh, my God, that's exactly right. <laughs>
0: With yeah, the same I kept attitude, thinking of so. Anna is
1: Emily Gilmore, but without the dancing and the kind of wink-wink stuff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just the turning up the nose and everything.
1: Yes, just the turning up the nose stuff. Um, and so Hattie is just all set to have, like, a nice, calm summer, and she's going to turn 12, um, and then all these signs start appearing around town for Fred Carmel's carnival, and she starts getting really intrigued. And then she finds out that she has an uncle, it's her mom's younger brother that no one ever told her about. Yeah, which is,
0: it did not go at all how I was expecting it to. When I like, you know how you you kind of like, not not guess how a book is going to go, but like you just get a general like, oh, I see how this is trending. It went in like 17 different unexpected directions, which I really liked.
1: There were a lot of unexpected things, but I also feel like there were some things that possibly, I mean, I can, I cannot speak to, you know, Anna Martin's uh, motivations or what she was planning for real on, you know, and that maybe was changed and edited out. I have some things that I think are subtext that I I don't, I don't, I don't, like I'm not sure how I feel about them when I finished the book. I was like, "Oh." <laughs> so let's let's get to that in just a minute. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, yeah. So her 21 year old uncle Adam. He's her mom's youngest brother. He um, he has been in a home, um, unquote, unquote school, a special school
0: that has now closed permanently. So he comes home to stay for the summer um, while they find a new one.
1: There are some derogatory words used. Um, and it comes to light that Adam has some mental, mental, um, mental difficulties as they phrase it in much blunter terms. Um, I feel like we never really learn what is going on with him. No, they mentioned
0: possible schizophrenia or autism, um, which was interesting because when I did just a smidge of research about Ann Martin because she, you know, she's one of those authors that you grow up reading her books, but um, you don't necessarily know a whole lot about her, actually. Even hmm. from when she was a teenager, she volunteered at a place near near her home. And then later on when she was a teacher, she actually did work with kids with uh, lots of issues,
1: especially autism. Oh, huh. Well, that gives whole new meaning to the um, Babysitter's Club book. Christie and the secret of Susan.
0: Yes. So I was reading an interview that she did and she was saying that the books like that one and the ones that dealt with darker topics were actually always her favorite to write. The ones that had more difficult
1: themes. I mean, one could argue that a babysitter's club book is hard. It's hard to get a full scope of an issue in a babysitter's club book, but I do think that it was, it was a good try, you know, like, it's it I remember it's been years since I've read it and I'm sure some of the language is outdated but I do remember thinking that there was a lot of trying to show that Susan is a person and is just a different type of person not that she's not good or not okay she's just a different type of person mm-hmm. Um and I thought that was pretty neat for the time that it was published because I think you know even in the 80s, 90s, there, there was a lot of separating of people with various conditions away from so-called neurotypical people.
0: I was really surprised, actually, when I read this, that they even mentioned autism specifically. I was like that. I, I just felt like it was um, really well handled for the fact that it was written almost 20 years ago.
1: So, yeah. So I, I didn't think about this until we were just talking about it. But the thing that Adam does with the numbers with the dates. Oh, yeah. That's something Susan does in the, um, Christy and the and the Secret of Susan. So. Um, that must have been something that she saw in her work. To, to have written Yeah, it I, I, yeah. And it looks like um, the term autism was actually published first in 1938. So it is not anachronistic for the 1960s. I think particularly in a family that has been touched or has dealt with that, that is a possibility. That's something they definitely would have known. I think for the general population, they may not have ever heard of it before mm-hmm. or have any idea of what it really is um but it looks like it's not it it definitely falls within the dates of of being an okay like an actual term that could have been used but that's that's another thing that I thought was really interesting is that um hattie um, Hattie is very supportive and very open minded and very loving toward her uncle um while still picking up on facets of his personality and his behavior that were confusing to her, but it never felt like she was being judgmental and mean in any way. No. Like she ended up being protect really protective and trying to figure stuff out um rather than like just completely kind of dismissing him or just being scared and and distancing herself from him. Yeah. And I thought that was really really a great character uh, trait on Hattie's part.
0: Yeah. And I don't know. It was just, it was, it was very interesting to me. I loved how she wrote the relationship because even though this was an uncle she never heard about before, and she's clearly not good at making friends in general. And she admitted like sometimes when his behavior was scaring her, you know, or was off-putting, but she loved him. Like she just wholeheartedly, like he became like her favorite person instantly, which was great. Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know. I've found this, maybe not so much in the Babysitter Club books, but in In Anna Martin's, like, non-series books, I always found, even as a kid reading them, that they just made me think a lot. Mm -hmm. And there were a few parts in particular that I was just really struck by. So at the end of Chapter 4, Hattie has just learned about Adam, and she hasn't met him yet. And it's at the very end of the chapter, and she just thinks to herself, if a person is kept secret, is he real? And that struck me so hard. I don't even know why exactly. (laughs) But to have that in a kid's book, I thought was just, first of all, a huge, um, shows a huge amount of trust that she has in her readers. And then second of all, what a really interesting thing to think about. Like, of course, the people we don't know about exist outside of us. You know, the people that we have no idea what their names are or they live on the other part of the other, you know, an entirely different part of the world and we don't know anything about them. Of course they exist. But this idea of if someone's kept a secret, are they real is really interesting to me. So I think it falls back into the idea of like names have power and yeah, just that kind of almost folk folk tale idea of names having power, and that if you don't have a name, in some ways you don't exist. Um, yeah, it's just a lot to chew on. I also just really enjoyed the
0: fact that like, she wrote a character in such a way that it becomes clear that like, she has this very rich inner life, which... You know, so many of the kids' books that we read, a lot of times you have slightly stereotyped younger kids. But I mean, if you think back to being that age, what it was like, what is that, seventh grade? You felt like a fully rational adult, right? And the thoughts that you were having were like deep to you. And, and I just like that she made this fully fleshed person and not just like a stereotypical kid.
1: Well, and that's, and that's one of the reasons why I think for me when it did drag just a little bit. I totally forgave it and was totally still on board because Hattie is a fully realized character. I get that she would kind of mull around a bit more than some of the other characters we've read. And I get that she would be not fully, like, not fully understand what the adults are doing, but thinking about it a lot. And while I didn't always share that at that age, like, that wasn't something that was always in my head – I really appreciate having a a kid character that does have that, because I I think that's totally within the realm of possibilities for kids to, you know, to be that way. And I was that way a little bit, but just not so full on. Um, Well, yeah. And well, to get back to the plot
0: a smidge, too, like it's explained that Hattie has no friends. She has one friend named Betsy who goes on vacation all summer, every summer. So she's. Like alone during the story, which is part of the reason why she she takes to Adam so strongly, because he's just a friend for her. But then the circus comes to town, and she makes friends with a little girl who works at the circus.
1: She makes friends with Layla, who is the daughter of the pretzel lady, and yeah, her uncle is Fred Carmel. And um, it sounds like a pretty standard carnival, but it also sounds like I mean I don't I don't know because it it was around for like weeks which is not normal or
0: not now anyway I mean I don't know how it was yeah
1: yeah because I mean I feel like the the traveling carnivals that we know are the like creepy ones that set up in parking lots at malls the death and like taking your life in your own hands to get on like the tilt-a-whirl but I do it sometimes anyway because I want to feel alive
0: <laughs> like maybe I'm gonna be <laughs> flung out into a highway but who knows
1: yeah, I mean, like it's, the, it's there's a high probability it's going to break down and something will go horribly. But you know what? Can you spend two dollars in a better way? Sometimes, no, definitely a different type of carnival culture, I think, and um, a lot more like they go from month to month. They go to um, different towns, and it sounds like they don't have a regular circuit, so they kind of just travel endlessly not even in a loop or anything so it's not like they're going to be back in um Hattie's hometown next year
0: yeah no and she says in her memory they have not been there before so it's a really a one-off event
1: yeah and I like that the circus people weren't treated in this book they weren't treated as like huge freakish anomalies either I mean they were just it was a business it was a family business and I like that it was just kind of like oh the pretzel oh she just can kind of stretch you know and like and then some of the people had like had um, were born with different things that made them into these you know sideshow characters, but the people that live and work with the circus they that's they are just part of their family and they're not seen as different, um, even though they're advertised and make their living by looking different. I thought that was that was nice. I mean, maybe not actually what would have happened in that day and age, but that was <laughs> that's nice. A really
0: nice idea. <laughs>
1: Now we need. I need you to answer this question very honestly. Okay. Do you like circus peanuts?
0: Oh no, they're garbage.
1: Um, okay, wait, good. Do you mean
0: actual peanuts or the like the candy circus peanuts?
1: No, yeah, the candy, the the like orange beige oh, no. marshmallow, up- but not marshmallow, hard peanut shaped candy. We called them doorstops growing up. Oh,
0: yeah. We we're like, who wants a doorstop? And the answer, of course, was nobody ever. But um, yeah, no, those are horrific. <laughs>
1: I mean, I remember sticking one in my mouth and thinking it was going to be a marshmallow, and then it was just like a bar of soap. Like, it was – I couldn't bite into it. It just, like, basically just started to lather in my mouth, and it was horrifying. No, it's it's
0: one of the, the small class of candy that I'm convinced that they made one batch ever, and it's just been recirculating because
1: nobody ever eats them. Oh, God, that means that all of them have been in someone's mouth at some point.
0: Well, I just mean, like, they never were able to oh. un- unload the, the original <laughs> pile of bags of them, you know?
1: But I, I promise I'm gonna I'm gonna do something with them. It may just be microwaving them, but it, they will make an appearance in that episode. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, so Hattie becomes good friends with Layla and Layla starts showing her around the circus, then they become really inseparable and it's just really sweet um to see Hattie opening up and, and making a new friend and trying some new things and kind of putting herself out there. Um I mean this is the same girl that was like the very beginning of the book she's kind of like I might go to college but I might go to college and also stay in the boarding house yeah <laughs> where I've lived my whole life <laughs> you know so um I felt like that was a big a big leap forward for her Adam shows up and we've we've talked about they have an instant connection they become really good friends as well as you know niece and uncle Adam is
0: also obsessed with one of the boarders at the boarding house named uh, Angel Valentine who is a young woman and uh, very attractive uh, even though she has a boyfriend already and he this was one of the things I found slightly off-putting was that he kept staring at her boobs
1: yeah that's very true (laughs) I mean I think it's I think it's probably a truth like I think that yes that's a truth that probably a uh, you know a 20-year-old 21-year-old man um who isn't doesn't have completely like our social hang-ups that like other people may have like kind of in the, the social contract that we have like don't stare at people's body parts mm-hmm. um but I think I think that that's something that a 20-year-old 21-year-old man would could possibly do no matter what oh sure his like ner- you know but I I think that yeah I mean, because I marked one of those pages. It was like page sixty one, and he was like wringing his hands and then just staring at her bosom. <laughs> and then it but and then it to me, it gets creepy because it goes down into not because he's looking at her boobs, but it goes down into like angel goes to help with dinner, and Adam goes with her. And then Hattie is like, starts like blushing. And um, she says, I know he's been waiting for days to see her and her is Angel Valentine. I try to tell myself that is okay. that Adam's a grown man and Angel is a grown woman, a beautiful grown woman. It wouldn't be right for him to look at me the way he looked at Angel. I'm only 11 years old, not to mention his niece. But that flesh won't go away. And I stare out at Grant Avenue in confusion. There's nothing like feeling left out. So, I mean, I get it, but I also felt like it was a little (laughs) icky.
0: Yeah, that was a little itchy, but I had I had an impression and this may not be intentional, but just that there is a subtext of Hattie um also being interested in those boobs, which is why she noticed when Adam noticed them.
1: Oh, I didn't pick up on that.
0: Um because, you know, because she noticed it so often, like she noticed him doing it so often was so like explicitly stated that he was doing that, and the whole book is mm-hmm. so from Hattie's perspective that I feel like that part of his just part of the description of him noticing is Hattie noticing that he was noticing that's true that's really true um toward the end there is a uh there's a culminating event in the book that involves uh that involves Adam walking in on Angel with her boyfriend and Adam and Hattie so When this is happening, obviously, like it's traumatic for Adam because he doesn't really, he's not equipped to handle the situation and he's been obsessed with her this whole book. And he walks in on them and I think they're, so their shirts are open. I look at Adam, he's looking at Angel, his mouth open like a character in a cartoon, and I know exactly what he's thinking. We're so alike, Adam and I, our brains are so alike that Adam's thoughts are in my head now. Adam is thinking that at long last he's seen Angel's actual chest without any clothing to cover it. He's fascinated. He is fascinated by her fingers as they fumble with the buttons of the blouse. Uh, He feels about 10% satisfied at having caught her doing something she shouldn't be doing in our house, 20% horrified by his own bad behavior, and 70% excited by what we've interrupted. My mouth grows dry and my heart starts to pound. I can't stop looking at Angel either. Looking at this scene, we've disturbed this thing that boyfriends and girlfriends do in private. Um, So it seems like she's saying
1: that I... I know what Adam's feeling because I'm feeling it too, a little bit. I can see that. And then she, it goes on because she, Adam leaves, Adam drops the flowers he'd brought for Angel and then he runs and Hattie hesitates and turns back to Angel's room. It says she, she's, um, Angel's about to close the door and she sticks her foot in the crack and, and then Hattie looks back into the room at Angel and like how disheveled she is and looks at her boyfriend sitting half naked on the bed. And then she removes her foot and pulls the door shut and then goes after Adam. So, yeah, I mean, I can see it. I can see it being interpreted that way. I took it a little bit more like Hattie understanding what it means to feel feel one way about someone and then realize that they don't feel the same way. Mm Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily assign uh, like a sexual orientation to it, but um, I also, though, I also took that as evidence, further evidence to me in my theory that Adam was actually um, Hattie's brother. Oh,
0: yeah. No, that was super, like, I was shocked at the end when that was not explicitly stated.
1: Yes. That was all the stuff about her talking about them sharing a brain and understanding each other and being really um, close. I was just like, oh, it's going to be revealed that he is her actual brother. Like, her mom had a partner before her dad, and she was too young to raise a child. Oh, yeah. So the, the child went and lived with Nana.
0: And with the grandparents that she had that were snooty, and oh, we could never let that happen, because then she went on to go to a, a really good college, and and yeah, that seemed very... I mean, there was even a line in there where they said that we're so like we could be brother and sister. And I was like, oh, this is yeah. so- like, so clear. <laughs> yeah.
1: I really was surprised when that was not the case. Um, but it, it's so not explicitly stated not to be the case either. Yeah, it is a little, it is a little, like, just in there. You know, I hadn't thought about Hattie exploring her own sexuality or thinking about her own sexuality in this book. Because I feel like it's very, it's very subtle. Um, but I do think that it's there. Um And I I do think that the, the part with Adam that I had read earlier, like, I think it's possible that she was jealous of Angel Valentine or that she was interested in Angel Valentine, like, looking at her the way that Adam was looking at her. But I also think that it's that push and pull of that age of, like, not being an adult, not being included in adult things, kind of understanding adult things, and then trying to figure out where you fit in. And realizing that, like age-wise, you are leaps and bounds behind an actual adult.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's especially being only eleven, right? It's not like it's not like a book about a sixteen-year-old like being left out of a sexual situation and then like knowing how they feel about it. I mean, when you're eleven, like everything is confusing and weird and difficult, and like you can feel the seventeen different ways at once. And not know what any of it means. So I think it makes total sense that she could be jealous both of Adam's attention and of, you know, Angel Valentine and just not even be comprehending what it is she's feeling.
1: The brother thing, right? So that... oh, The brother thing, that is... I mean, I just couldn't get... I couldn't get over the fact... I could not get over the fact that that wasn't resolved because I was like, this is here. This is in this book, that they are brother and sister.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they they seem so similar. And there's this scene at the end of the book. So she's been, like, looking at home movies and things this whole time and they talk about the home movies. And at the end of the book, she finds this, this real that she has not seen before and it's labeled Mercer, which is her mom's college graduation, right? And then she realizes, you know, okay, that must be 1943. Adam would have been five then. And suddenly then he like bursts into the picture. What is, yeah, that's actually the quote. And suddenly he bursts into the picture and like he runs up to her mom and hugs her like on the stage at her graduation. I'm like, oh, they're finally gonna say it. And they don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like the last page of the book and it made perfect sense to me that that is when they have this reveal that that is her son and not her brother and they don't do
1: it (laughs) yeah I don't know I wonder if like they think that would have been too complex of a reveal but at the same time we have what actually does happen so I feel like you know I, I, yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I so mean, they, they um, mull over doing the math on the ages like ten different times. So it's made like explicitly clear that the mom, that Hattie's mom, was sixteen when Adam was born. You know mm-hmm. that the that the grandparents sent him off to school because he was a problem. Like there are all of these things that just seem so exactly perfectly to line up for them being siblings. And I I get it. It could be. It could be all in the way you read it, right? So she has Mm -hmm. it laid out perfectly and she has all of the contextual clues there without ever actually saying so. So you could read it whichever way you prefer and by not saying, you know, in a way that
1: makes it more interesting. I mean, that just makes me wonder if if she was told to take it out or if she, like, if there's a possibility that she didn't realize it was in there. um, Because that can happen. I guess, but it's just perfectly written.
0: I mean, when you read about, in the author's note at the end of the book, it says, uh, like Hattie, I found out as a young girl that I had had another uncle and that he had been mentally ill. Um, Unlike Hattie, I never had a chance to meet him. My uncle Stephen died five years before I was born and about a year before my parents met each other. Uh, Some of the details in this book are real, but I know very little about Stephen, and so the portrayal of Adam in this book is not based on Stephen. Um, So... It's interesting that she based this on a real person, but I uh, like the situation in the book is not the situation in her real life. It was just very loosely based on the concept. Yeah. So the fact that the real life basis for the story was not her brother, I think doesn't take away from
1: the, the reading of Adam as Hattie's brother. No, but that might be one of the reasons why it wasn't revealed Right. or it wasn't, it wasn't, um entertained um because the idea is, I mean, I guess the idea is kind of following her family's history as like a blueprint, and that if that's not the what actually happened, then you leave that out, you know, Layla and Adam end up meeting um, through a trip to the carnival, and they join forces to create a birthday party for for Hattie for her 12th birthday
0: I mean it just causes more tension with her with her grandparents because they had had a, like an event that they wanted Hattie to go to that same night but Adam is so worked up about it that they're like yeah of course you can go and it's not like them at all but I think that built up um, the tension to the point that it's plausible later on that Adam would sneak out and go to the circus with Hattie when he, he knew he wasn't supposed to
1: Yeah. And then he has, um, he has an episode on the Ferris wheel and he starts to climb off of it when it's, it's stuck with them at the top. Um, and Layla and Hattie are trying to stop him. Um, they finally get him to the ground. He's safe, but he runs off. Um, well, no, he's, he's actually arrested. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And then we don't see him again on the page.
0: No, no. He goes missing. And spoiler alert and possibly trigger warning here for people because he actually hangs himself. You can feel it building up towards something bad happening. And it's almost like she was expecting it when she hears the news because he had been missing and they found him. I feel like she's been very sort of open the whole book? Like, not with the other characters, but with us as the reader.
1: It's not the only um, anime I've read that has a suicide, because um, there's a book called Slam Book by her that ends with a suicide. Oh, I remember that. Um, Yeah, that book was very, it was a very heavy book to me.
0: The book sort of ends, you know, like, there's a funeral, and she gets up to talk about him, and she doesn't even say very much. She's really more concerned with like I don't know her acquaintances who are always kind of mean to her and part of the reason that she doesn't have any friends are there to just gawk and giggle and she, mm-hmm. I think that's that's the tipping point for her realizing that she doesn't really care yeah you know that's and, true and, and that she shouldn't care and then all she really says about adam is that some people called him a freak but you know he wasn't a freak and he was somebody who can lift the corners of the universe and it, it doesn't even matter if like the people in the audience understood that or the giggly horrible girls understood that either but like i think for her recognizing that that's the more important thing was was really the uh the character growth
1: for her in the whole book yeah
0: which is good because I know no, I, I know grown ups right. who need to make those kinds of turns and don't so
1: Yeah. No, that's exactly true. Um yeah, it's exactly true. So I guess
0: bottom line is did you like this book?
1: I did like this book. I felt like there was um there were parts of it, like I said, that I thought were a little slow for me, but I don't think that I think it was very true and consistent to the character and her thoughts. Um and there was, you know, the stuff left hanging a little bit. But I did like this book. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was measured. And I thought it was an interesting inclusion. Like, I think this year of Newbery books, more than any other that we've covered so far, feels so different, but still have very similar through lines. And I'm finding that very fascinating to see. Yeah. Like a theme without an actual theme. (laughs) yeah so the theme is like they're very very focused on one kid's story um and one kid's maybe change of scenery and at the same time the settings and the tones and the styles and the characters themselves are so different from each other it's it's kind of remarkable yeah I think it just, I'm sure that it's like this with other years, but for some reason it really, this really stands out further and more, it stands out more than, than other years that we've already, that we've done.
0: So I don't necessarily have a read-alike for the entire book, but little snippets of this book reminded me of other things. So I was
1: totally into the Sweet Valley High books, were you? I really wasn't. I loved them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was much more of a Babysitters Club, and then like a uh, Reader, and then Nancy Drew, and um, I, that's around the time I started to get into R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike. Oh, so, God, I loved those. Um, yeah, but I just was like, screw those pretty blonde twins. <laughs> I'm reading. I'm reading some gore. Well, so,
0: okay, <laughs> I, I adored those books too. I ab- obsessively read them. But um, around about that time, when I was reading them i was also reading the sweet valley high books and there are two books that they wrote called sweet valley saga right and they follow like the two families of like the the parents of the sweet valley twins like going back generations and generations and there's this really big focus on a circus where one of the girls who was in their family who becomes their great great whatever (laughs) ran away with the circus and then the man that she was no she She ran away with the circus, but somebody who was even her ancestor before her fell in love with someone on the ship over from Sweden to America and the man that she fell in love with and got separated from Ellis Island um, became a horse trainer at, like, the same circus. And so there's all these, like, of course, overlapping coincidences, but it has a very, like, go-off-to-adventure-with-the-circus, but also, like, um, a big wallop of the 60s as well. So... Um, the two books are not actually similar at all, but they have uh, similar plot, not even plot elements, just like um, settings, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. A little
1: snippet. Yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, um, sad to say it was not nearly as well written as this book is, but uh, it's still fun. And if you're in the mood to go back to your middle school roots, if you're, our age, <laughs> uh, that would do it for you.
1: So I had to do a hodgepodge myself because I couldn't think of anything that was like kind of a direct... Court, like direct one-to-one yeah, on multiple hard, parts right? of this book <laughs> um so for for the 60s setting and like meeting a new family member or revisiting a family member that you didn't haven't really spent time with in a long time and things kind of going a little awry um i thought one crazy summer um but rita garcia williams mm. um is excellent for that um and again, it focuses on a young girl's story, um, her sisters, and they go to live um, in Oakland with their mom one summer, um, and their mom is involved with the Black Panthers. And so they go to the um, to the school and they help with the well, – or they go to the breakfast um, program and they help with stuff in the community, and um, their mom is um, not who she thought they – not who they thought she was going to be. And so things, um, there's a lot of family drama as well as being against, being set against this really interesting historical time. Uh, it also reminded me of the paper boy by Vince Votter, which we covered in our first season. Oh no, second season. Um, just that idea, just like that book, I felt like this book kind of has a little bit of a smoke or a haze on top of it. So you feel like you're, looking back into someone's memory and you're not quite seeing everything crisp and clear. Um, but it has that nostalgic feel um of a different time. Uh so that that was for that. And then um the countdown, a countdown, the first book in the sixties trilogy by Deborah Wiles. Yeah, um so good. So good. Yeah, for that for that 60s content as well. Um I just couldn't really think of a one-to-one on this one because Hattie is At first glance I feel like she's she comes off as a not complicated character, but as the more I read of her and the more I think about her, there's just so much to her character. It's hard to find another character like her. Um so so yeah. Um those are my read alikes. Um and uh I'm sure we'll come up with some kind of Ferris wheel or carnival themed cocktail when we are allowed to be together again. Um, if, if and it of course, there's the circus peanut. Yeah, there's the circus peanut to look forward to. Oh, so and <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for listening to our discussion of A Corner of the Universe by Anna Martin. Next, we'll be discussing The House of the Scorpion by Nancy Farmer. It'll be the last of our 2003 honor, honor books before we get to the winner, of course. Um, Please rate and review us on whatever platforms you are listening. It helps other people find us and it helps the podcast going. We'll talk to you later.
0: Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's NewberryTart.com.